in just under a week, Aki's are counting down. How about you're counting down? In under a week, it'll be Christmas. Wow. But the reality is, and if we're honest, it'll probably be another disappointing one. Instead of a new iPhone, we'll just get a pair of socks or a new jumper. Okay? Instead of succulent white layers of turkey steaming with moisture, you know, like you see on the adverts, it'd be dry and hard. Okay? Especially at this house. Okay? Sorry, mate. <laughs> Are you going to invite me this year? Oh, well, there you Not after that, eh? Not after no that. Point we're having pork and ham. My favourite. <laughs> Don't you just love pork at Christmas? <laughs> Look, the kids will be disappointed, won't they? Because they never quite get the present they want. You know, that wasn't the one they wanted. Our kids are already writing these wish lists, and it's, it's, just, it's just not going to happen, is it? You know, the kids will be disappointed. And, you know, even arguments. You invite your relatives around, you haven't seen for months. And then you're bickering, you know, family feuds. And to top it all up, I mean, here's a sad reality. People end up in debt. Spend the rest of the year trying to pay all that off. Christmas can be, very often be, disappointing. And the reality is, people would say, for many, it's overrated, disappointing. It's a kerfuffle. I mean, it's a lot of work to do. Seriously. I mean, a lot to do. And it seems to be all over nothing. And here's the thing. I don't know if there's any Jews here with any real Jewish you know, heritage that you know of. Okay, some link here. Hey, do you know, I ought to know that. Thank you for reminding me, Pippa. Okay, it's why you keep mentioning these things. I'll get in there. These Jewish things that you do. Make sense now, thank you. But you know, here's the reality. That first Christmas was overrated, disappointed, and a huge kerfuffle over nothing. It was. We might not get that because we're not Jewish and we didn't live in that time. Okay, but I want to just try and show you the whole thing was a huge, gigantic anticlimax. The biggest letdown in the history of the world. Seriously, if you understand it right, it was the biggest letdown in the history of the world. Here's what it's meant to be. This is what scripture foretold it to be. Isaiah 61. This is messianic. It's speaking about the Messiah. Okay, The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and the garment of praise instead of spirit of despair. I know I read that a bit fast, but did you get some of that? That first Christmas was meant to come with razzmatazz. Seriously. Sparks were meant to fly. It was meant to be a, a glorious 
king, an amazing ceremony. Okay, there was meant to be liberation from tyranny. The Romans were meant to be kicked out. There was meant to be judgment, judgment for Gentile dogs. Israel was to be established on a throne as the kings of the world to reign and rule over Gentile dogs. It was meant to be all that. It was meant to be the biggest revolution the world had ever seen. And instead, instead, you're going to see tonight. But here, look, instead of all that, here's what we got. Here's the first Christmas. Listen to this, Luke 2, 1-7. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house of the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to a firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Did you get that? That was it. Seriously, and it's not an exaggeration. Ask the Bible. That was it. The Messiah came into our world in obscurity and anonymity. Really? I mean, in fact, the, 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 only, uh, the, the only thing of any difference was a, a bunch of poor shepherds that nobody cares about came down to see him. And then a bunch of so-called intellects, but they were like a year late. Okay? And then they turned up to the wrong city looking for this baby. Jerusalem instead of Bethlehem. You know, if you were there that first Christmas and you stood, what, 50 metres, 100 metres from that crib, from that, from that stall, animal stall, do you know what you would have heard? Here's, here's what you would have heard. Listen. You would have heard nothing. Nothing. The Messiah has come. And within 50 meters of his birthplace, of his entrance, nobody knows. Nobody knows. He made no impact, no impression, did nothing of any note, and only attracted shepherds that nobody cared about anyway. And foreigners. And who wants them? Not Australia. Boy, <laughs> it's a tough place to be as a foreigner. It was a bizarre advent. So what are we to make of it? Uh, what went wrong? You've got to ask yourself, what went wrong? Because it was what no Jew was expecting. Pardon? It was our expectation. Yeah, our expectation. But see, there was all that expectation. And, and it was justified. So, okay, here's the thing. Maybe, look... Okay, look, I'm being unfair. We're only focusing on his advent. God chose to send his Messiah through human birth. 
Okay then. What was his ministry like? Okay, okay, put the births aside. You know, God chose to come into our world as a child. Okay then, what was his ministry like? Razzmatazz, sparks flying, the world turned upside down. Was it? Was it? I mean, look, let's give, let's give it a chance, okay? Here's what Luke tells us. Here's what a picture of his ministry looked like. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and he says, don't cry. Then he went up and touched the coffin and those carrying it stood still. He said to the young man, the son of this widow, young man, I say to you, get up. And the dead man sat up and began to talk. Wow! Now that's what I'm talking about. So how many of those did Jesus do? How many? Widow's son, Jairus' daughter, Lazarus. What? Twelve? Ten and two makes twelve. Oh, I can't even think of twelve. I can only think of three. That's why, that's why you shouldn't employ foreigners. Hang on, you see. Okay. But here's the point. A handful. Okay, and okay, he did, he did do a lot of miracles. He did, look, he did do a lot of miracles, Matthew 6, 5. And wherever he went, into villages, towns and countryside, they placed the sick in marketplaces. They begged him to let him touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched him were healed. But that's not that spectacular, because he was moving around very small villages, and he was moving on foot, for goodness sake. I mean, how much of the land of Israel, in a hot climate... Can you cover on foot? And, and so, even those miracles were localised. When you talk about whole villages, you're talking a couple of hundred people. You know, it's, it's insignificant. And, and so, even the miracles were scaled down, dumbed down. I mean, the great ones, are only two or three of them. And the other good ones, they're rare, and you have to, you know... There's only a few documented spectacular ones. We don't know what else he did there. But it just wasn't on the scale that anybody was expecting. And in fact, he was more interested, like this fellow from abroad, he was more interested in talking, okay, than doing some good stuff. He spent most of his ministry talking. In fact, he said he, he came to talk. And you're thinking, really? Look, this is what he said in Matthew Five. Now, when the crowd saw him, he went up to the mountainside and sat down as his disciples came to him and he did the most spectacular thing in front of thousands of people, converted the whole nation. No, he didn't. He just talked and talked and talked and talked and talked some more. Do you know when you think Paul's sermon was long? You know the one when he sitting on the windowsill and he preached so long, this fellow fell asleep, okay, okay, and then he fell off, he died. Guess what Paul did? I love it. It's one of my favourite stories in the Bible. Guess what Paul did? Because he hadn't finished preaching. And this fellow hadn't heard, his, had heard the end of his sermon. He made sure that he was going to listen to it. He went down. He resurrected him. He put him back in the windowsill. And he says, now you listen. And he finished his sermon. And that was a long sermon. It lasted over a day. Well, half a day. 
How long do you think Jesus preached that Sermon on the Mount for? Matthew 5, 6, 7. How long, did, how long do you think that took him? And you better listen to this young man. How long do you think that sermon lasted? All afternoon. All afternoon? All day. All day? Several days. Seriously. This wasn't a... So, okay, you, you this, this sermon I've just started now is going to finish on Christmas Day. Okay? That, was, that lasted several days. Seriously, all we've got there in Matthew is just snippets, condensed, you know, you know, relevant information for us, condensed so we can read it in, what, ten minutes? days worth of and so so he spent more time talking than doing and you're wondering what kind of messiah is he and if you're thinking oh i'm just exaggerating no i'm not because john the baptist what did jesus say of him john the baptist he was the greatest old testament prophet and if you if you're Wondering, you know, he wasn't in the Old Testament. But we have to understand this. I'll say this in, in my home group and in Bible studies. When you're reading the Gospels, you have to handle them carefully because they are intertestamental documents. What do I mean by that? Intertestamental documents. That, that means they belong neither to the Old Testament nor to the New Testament. They don't belong in other. That in between, in this, this weird, strange moment in history, when the one covenant was closing and a new was beginning, John was still a part of the old. It's why Jesus said to the rich man, he will never say to you, don't ever say this in evangelism, when someone says to you, how do I get eternal life? What did Jesus say to the rich man? It's absurd for the new covenant adherents. What did he say to him? He said, you know the commandments, go and obey them. Don't you ever say that to anybody in Adelaide. But Jesus said it because he was in the intertestamental period. He was speaking to Old Covenant people under Old Covenant stipulations. Jesus never says to you, you know the commandments, go and obey them. That is not how we come to faith. And so just in case you think I'm overplaying this and over-exaggerating it, the greatest Old Testament prophet, the greatest prophet that ever lived, exactly thought exactly what I'm saying to you today. It's exactly what he thought. What's all the kerfuffle about? Remember when he was banged up? He sent his disciples to Jesus to ask. Look, John's disciples, it's in Luke 7. John's disciples told him all about his in prison. Head has locked him up. But his disciples tell him, and he's doing this, and he's raised one person. Maybe a second, and he's done miracles in that city, and he's done this. This is him. And so, and it looks like they told John these things. And he calling two of them, he sent them to Jesus to ask. Listen to this. Are you the one? Why is John asking that question? He introduced him, for goodness sake, remember? Behold the Lamb of God. He must increase. I must decrease. In fact, he sent his disciples, remember? He sold his disciples to Jesus on the cheap. And here's John questioning the authenticity 
of Jesus. Because he didn't fit the billing. Do you, you get it? There wasn't the razzmatazz they were expecting. This wasn't what they were expecting. And, they were, and here's the key bit, and this is what John is probably concerned about in prison. Where's the sparks? The judgment. Where's the judgment? Remember that, remember that passage in Isaiah 61 that I said is messianic? In fact, it's the very one Jesus quotes and ignores this verse when he quoted it. Okay? Here it is. Oh, I thought it was meant to be there. It's disappeared. Okay? Here's the point. It's in Isaiah 63. You don't need, you need your Bibles. Okay? I need a Bible too. I haven't even got one to hand, have I? Okay, it says something like this. Right? I've got it somewhere on here. Let me just find it. Because I, uh, I haven't got my Bible. Somebody read Isaiah 61 verse 3, please. Really, really loudly. To all who mourn in Israel, I will give beauty for ashes. Joy instead of mourning, praise instead of despair. Verse 2, please. Sorry. I've got it in there, but you can read it. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favour has come, and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies. Thank you, thank you. Here it is. Isaiah 61, 2. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favour... And the day of vengeance of our God. Did you hear that? That is in Isaiah 61. That was a messianic promise. The Messiah was to, was to liberate Israel and pour out, literally pour out in full volume the wrath of God. Is what he was meant to do. Look, this is this. It's a huge theme in the Old Covenant, a huge, huge theme. Here's what Zechariah says. Here's what, sorry, Zephaniah writes. The great day of the Lord is near. Can you just catch me up, Ricky? Do you know where I am? The great day of the Lord is near. Near and coming quickly. Listen. The cry on the day of the Lord will be bitter. The shouting of the warrior there. That day will be a day of wrath. A day of distress. And a day of anguish. And a day of trouble. And a day of ruin. And a day of darkness and gloom. And a day of clouds and blackness. And, and in the fire of his jealousy, the whole world will be consumed. And he will make a sudden end to all who live on the earth. Do you get a picture of what Jesus was supposed to do? Yeah, That's what he was meant to do. He was meant to be the full unleashing of the wrath of God against the sins of the world. And here he is, crying in a crib on his birthday. And then in his ministry, spent more time talking than doing anything else. It's little wonder that John sends his disciples saying, Ask him, are you really the one? Are you really the Messiah? Because I don't get it, says John. I'm your chief prophet. And here I am, banged up. Why isn't Jesus? What do you think John was waiting for in, in that dungeon? What do you think he was waiting for? He was waiting for the place to collapse. For Herod to be tried. For John to be brought out. And to be stunned as the prophet of God. And John said, I don't get it. I don't get it. 
And friends, we have to be honest here. We have to say Christmas is overrated. Jesus' ministry is overrated because it didn't quite deliver. It didn't quite hit the mark. Everything was on a small scale. We just got glimpses. And there was hardly any judgment, except that a few lashes he gave the Pharisees. Poor Pharisees. Joking. Okay? And so why? Here's the question. Okay, I've got a couple of minutes. Why? Why? What's going on? What happened? What went wrong? Somebody, you can answer. What's going on? What's happened? Pardon? He may do, but it's not what he said he was going to do. He may do that. Thank you, Sid. And he does say that in the New Testament later. He's not willing that any should perish. Peter. Anything else? Why? What's gone wrong? Has something gone wrong? Nothing has gone wrong. Thank you. Thank you, young lady. It was. But it doesn't look like that, does it? Anybody else want to add to it? The kingdom of love, the change of heart. So he was preaching the kingdom of grace and love. Thank you. He was. Here's the thing. And nobody knew this. Nobody saw this. The Messiah's coming had a sequel. That was the point. It was one of those movies that ends with, and you hate it, don't you? Because you've got to wait two years for the remake and save your money. You know, one of those movies that gets to the best part and then you get this black screen and to be continued. And you're pulling your hair out. No! You know, I love Back to the Future. It's one of my favourite trilogies, one of my favourite all-time movies. I know every line. Seriously, I'm pretty done. I'm just repeat the whole movie to you. I grew up on it as a kid. But you know, when you watch two, two is so frustrating. It finishes just when Marty has been his his car has been struck by lightning, and he gets in a now dark rather, and he disappears back in time by 50 years or whatever. Marty's left there, and you want to know what happens next. And then it's in those colour orange and blue writing to be continued. I'm like, no! But you know the thing, you know when they made number two? They'd always planned the sequel. When God sent the Messiah, he'd always planned the sequel. And in fact, no Jew ever saw this. It wasn't clear in the Old Covenant. The sequel is the real coming. The sequel is the real shoulder. The sequel is when all that is prophesied about him will take place. Acts 1 tells us this. When Jesus was about to, he leaves and the disciples are just wondering, what now? Jesus, Jesus has disappeared into the sky. What now? And angels speak to them and they say, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come back. I love Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'll be back. I, I, I know, that, that wasn't a very good okay, Austrian-American accent. Okay? It, it wasn't he that coined that phrase. Okay? Jesus was always coming back. And when he comes back, 
It's then that you'll see the pomp and the ceremony. He will come and how many eyes will see him? We can do this on Christmas Day. Every single eye will see him. Every single eye, including the dead. The dead will see him because he's going to resurrect them to see him. It's then that you'll see the pomp, the ceremony, the glory, the splendor, the majesty. And he won't all be localized in a little country that nobody even knows about. Well, they do, Israel. It'll be global. And he won't raise three or a handful of people to life. How many people will he raise to life then? Every single person who's It will be spectacular. And John won't be asking them. Nobody will ask them. Is this the coming? Then you'll know. Then you'll know. Look, I'm going to finish in three minutes. That gives us time to sing and finish for 11. I'll give you the first point that I was going to do on Christmas Day. At least give you something to go away with. Here's the first point of what the real Christmas will look like. So what are we going to do on Christmas Day? What was the real Christmas? The second coming Here's what the second coming will look like, the real Christmas, the real Advent, the real appearing of the Messiah. It will be a revelation of the real Jesus. You do realise, don't we? That baby is a, a condescension of mammoth proportions. Even the adult Jesus is only a glimpse of who he is. He's, he's covered. He's masked. You could touch him. You could feel him. You could go up to him. You could have a conversation with him. You could challenge him. Have you ever thought about that? How ludicrous it is that men, mere mortals, ants created by God with zero power against him could stand and test God. It's laughable. They came to test him. It's laughable, isn't it? What does the real Jesus look like? Because we're going to see when he returns. There won't be anybody questioning him then. There won't be anybody challenging him then. Listen, this is, what he's, this is, this is the Messiah. This is what John was expecting. I turned around. It's in, we're finding that in the last book of Revela- in the Bible, Revelation, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw the seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and his hair were like white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters in his right hand he held seven stars and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword and his face was like the sun shining in all his brilliance it means you can look at him and when i saw him i ran to him to give him a kutch this welsh for hug and when i saw him i ran to him says John, his closest disciples, to give him a great big hug and a slobby kiss on his cheek. No. No. And when I saw him, this is John, his closest disciple. He used to lie on his bosom. When I saw him, as he is, the real Jesus, unmasked, That's the Jesus John was expecting.
and awesome. We forget, don't we? He's God. Friends, when we see Jesus unmasked in the second coming, the real Christmas, he won't be cute and cuddly. He'll be awesome. And we will not, I don't know what you imagine, we won't run to him to embrace him. Believe what I'm talking about. We will fall down before him as though dead. This is God Almighty that we're encountering. And the second coming will be a revelation of.